0: That title speaks to really the place of uh, wh- where the church is that James is writing to. The, that is w- What's happening in their midst and what is going on uh, in the circumstances and the situation that they find themselves in. Really, between two worlds, if you will, the walking in worldly wisdom versus walking in godly wisdom. Uh, walking according to the ways of the world Yet walking according to the ways of God, and that tension that is evident in—I think—in every believer's life, if we're honest with ourselves, there is a tension that's there where we are we are enticed and pulled away, and we kind of go through the uh, that that temptation scene that James talks about in chapter one, where we are uh, tempted and we're pulled away and we're enticed by the lust of the flesh, but we are called to resist temptation to draw near to God in this passage of chapter four, and so there is this tension. I think that that's evident in the life of every believer. And for that reason, we, I think we see what James is speaking about this morning as being between two worlds. And perhaps you can identify with that this morning, that there is a temptation at times uh, that's stronger than others. And there are times when as you walk by the Spirit of God, you are able to withstand temptation, and it seems like nothing can penetrate the Spirit of God over and around and surrounding your life and that you walk in uh, in, in, in newness of life and that you're, uh, you're walking maybe on a spiritual high, you're kind of on the mountaintop and then you just feel like nothing can penetrate your walk. But then there are other times when it seems like there are so many things that are just coming against you, so many darts and arrows that are coming at you and it it's tough sometimes to withstand temptation and you realize that you fall, and you sin, and you fall short of God's glory, and then what's produced in life is frustration, and guilt, sorrow, prayerfully, hopefully, sorrow, mourning, um, reflecting on sin, and wanting to repent, and so this morning, as we approach this passage, I just kind of want to put that out there before us, as this is kind of, this is where the church is, this is the struggle that they're going through between two worlds here. Uh, So in James chapter 4, let's begin in verse 1, and read along with me as I, I read. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you this morning... We realize that our lives are an open book. Lord, that even before our days were numbered are here, you you knew every one of them. And Father, that you know us intimately and you are well acquainted with all of our ways. We we know this this morning, Father. And so we just come this morning transparently before you saying, let this be the heart beat of our lives, let it be the cry of our lives, that we ourselves would submit to you, that we would draw near to you, that you would purify our hands and cleanse our hearts, God, that you would do a work within our lives. We submit ourselves this morning, Father, to your word. We pray that you would instruct us and teach us, illumine our minds by your spirit. Cultivate our hearts, Father, to love your word, our our minds to comprehend your word, our eyes to see the truth of your word, and our, our lives, Lord, lead us in following you and living according to your word. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory for what you do in our lives and what you are doing and will continue to do, for it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. As I was considering this passage, praying through it, I really got excited this week about, um, just about specifically about verse 5. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Tremendous truth of God's heart for his people, for us, and how he places his spirit within us. But I don't want to jump ahead and get too far ahead. Uh, What I want to begin by saying this morning is as we look at this passage, I just want to Uh, exhort us as a congregation if you're visiting with us this morning just kind of listen in and uh, and just hear what I'm saying as a congregation cross point is is one of the most loving congregations that I've ever I've ever been a part of and ever seen ever experienced Uh, a tremendously uh, wonderful group of people and community, and and, and so we are just excited to be here among the people of Crosspoint. We are, uh, we're loving our time here. And I, I just want you to know as a church that I am so excited about what, what I see happening in the ministry that I hear going on in, in, in the midst of the body, in the midst of, of day-to-day things happening during the week. I'm, I'm excited and I'm encouraged about the love of the body of Christ here. I'm excited about the health of the congregation. I'm excited that we can read through a passage this morning like this and we don't experience the things that are happening to this degree in the midst of this body. But there are churches, you should know, across this nation, in this state, even in this city, who experience these sorts of things, this worldly wisdom, if you will, that has crept into the church, as James is writing... So I just want to share that this morning as we begin, that I, I'm just excited and I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that Christ has lived out among the people here. I'm so excited about the way that, uh, that, that, that Christ has gripped our hearts and our lives. And I know that we're not perfect by any means, and that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that I'm excited, I'm encouraged about the way that I see our faith being modeled as a congregation and if you're a visitor this morning or, or just an attender and you're not part of the, uh, the, the membership of the body, let me just encourage you to take that step of faith and unite together with the church, with the body of Christ, because that is why Christ has created the church, that we would be a mutual group of brothers, and a community of faith, living together, living out the call of the gospel in our lives and experiencing and doing life together. That's what the church is about. And so I, just, I commend us, I exhort us, I'm excited about that for us as a church. Now for verse 1, chapter 4. He says, he begins with a question. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And so as we look at between two worlds, I want us to see first that last week uh, there was a contrast really between false wisdom and true wisdom, or true wisdom and false wisdom. And this week we really see the grave result of false wisdom being at work in the midst of the church. Last week we saw there was bitter jealousy, there was selfish ambition, that word meaning a partisan spirit. And if you remember, we Partisan, we know what that's about. We see partisanship, right, all the time, especially in politics today. So there was this partisan spirit, selfish ambition in the midst of the body. There was disorder, James says in chapter 3, in every evil practice. And so now what we see in chapter 4 here is we see the results, the manifestation of a people of God walking in worldly wisdom or in false wisdom. And so the first point we see this morning is that worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue, big word here, hedonism. Worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue hedonism. Now, I want to tell you why I use that word hedonism, because there in verse 1, is not the source your pleasures that wage war, that word is actually where we get our word hedonism from. And so it's the word hedonism in English. It just transliterates into English. It's where our English word for hedonism comes from. It's pursuing pleasure. And so what James is saying is that when we walk in worldly wisdom, we pursue our own pleasure and our own satisfaction. When we walk in worldly wisdom, we pursue our own pleasure and our own satisfaction. And so he asked the question, what, what is the source or what is the cause of these quarrels and conflicts among you? And then the answer is the question there in verse 1. Is not the source, isn't it? Isn't it these, uh, these pleasures that are at war within you? They're at war within your memory. Isn't that what's causing the conflict and the quarrels among you? And the answer, of course, is... Yes, that's what's causing the conflict and the quarrels that are among the church. You might have heard John Piper speak of hedonism in a positive sense as in Christian hedonism. One who is a disciple of Christ would pursue the pleasure of God in his life. But that's not what James is speaking of here. The word that's used here in the New Testament, it's used in only a few other places, and it always carries a negative connotation. It always conveys sinful and self-indulgent living. It always means one who is seeking after to serve their own ends. Luke 8.14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Speaking of the seed that is cast along the side, it doesn't sprout up to mature life. Instead, they are, it's taken away by the cares of the world and the seeking after pleasures. In Titus chapter 3, Paul uses it this way. says, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Second Peter 2.13 says they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime those who are sinful in their lifestyle. So this word pleasure, he says, it is the source of, of the conflict and the quarrels that are among the church, this pursuit of one's pleasure, this hedonistic living. And so I want us to make this connection this morning from chapter 3 into chapter 4 that worldly wisdom misleads us down this wrong path of pursuing and satisfying our own pleasures when the antithesis of that is godly wisdom which leads us in righteousness and life and so we'll see those two contrasted this morning this is to be between really two worlds there's one more clarification we need to make here in verse one is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members is he talking here about the body of Christ, or is he talking here about the individual person? Well, he's talking here about the individual person. He's talking about what, uh, what happens in the body. It's the word that's used for the members of the body. In other words, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my head, my arms. And so he's talking about this very thing which wages war internally, deep within. It is this thing that is at war inside of the believer this pleasure this seeking out of pleasure this wanting to satisfy my own desires my own needs and here what James is doing is he's really using a common metaphor that's used throughout the New Testament to speak of the body and the members of the body And so this is the picture that we really begin to see last week. And and it regards the the selfish ambition in a person's life. It regards the partisan spirit that comes up as a result of, of selfish ambition and as a result of bitter jealousy. And here's what he says about it. Look, he says that it wages war in your members. Now, maybe we don't take that serious enough today. That this seeking out and desiring, this pleasure, it wages war in our members. In fact, to the point that later in verse 5, that exciting pinnacle of the passage, He jealously desires the spirit He has made to dwell in us, so much so that this war that is going on within us, it is pulling at our members and it is this internal struggle that is happening Our pleasures are engaging with the members of our body in war. They are going to war with each other. In fact, Romans 7.23, the Apostle Paul says, I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says in Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do This active struggle that James speaks about is the believer's struggle between false wisdom and true wisdom and false wisdom being sinful, self-indulgent behavior that wars in the believer and contradicts the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that would lead us as He would lead us in righteous living in pursuit of God's holiness. This is what James is speaking about in Chapter 4, verse 1. This is the reality that's happening in the midst of the body. They are struggling deeply, internally. And this internal struggle that is going on within this war that they are losing individually is wreaking havoc in the midst of the body. And consequently, this war that is happening within the individual believer is also happening in the midst of the church as a whole. And ruining the church's witness, ruining the testimony of the church. It's a war for them, it's a war against the culture, it's a war against position, it's a war against one another. And it's a war against the hedonistic culture even today that mocks God at every turn and confronts the child of God at, at every waking point, at every point of walking according to the ways of God or walking according to the ways of the world. There is a challenge that is being confronted in every believer's life as to which way we will walk in the ways of wisdom or in the ways of, in the ways of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And so in verse two, he says, "You lust and do not have it, as you, you desire, you want for it and you don't have. So what do you do? You commit murder. You are envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, you don't have, because you don't ask." Now, as we get into verse two here, the question becomes, is he really I mean, did somebody really murder somebody in the church? I mean, for all practical purposes, it doesn't seem like that would really be the natural progression of what was happening. I mean, they were just quarreling and having a conflict, right? A simple dispute of words. But understand what happens when jealousy and selfish ambition enter in. Jealousy and selfish ambition left unchecked begin to brood up within the heart of a person and really begin to take root and eat away and bite away and chew down and disrupt fellowship and more, more than likely what did happen in the midst of the church, one of the churches was that more than likely there was some murder that ended up happening as a result of the dispute and the, the struggle, the struggle that was going on. And more than likely, there was an instance, an example of something that happened in the midst of one of these churches where it tainted, and it was well known perhaps, but it it would have tainted the testimony of the church. Those are supposed to be a people of love. They're supposed to love one another. Instead, there's murder happening in the midst of the body. In fact, the description is you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you, you fight and you quarrel. This description of envious it's, it's this word to covet. It's zeal to have a zeal. It's an intense, it's an intense desire to have. And when this emotion of envy is, is not achieved, it breeds frustration, it breeds contempt and disorder. And, and we must check this emotion of envy. But I want to ask you a question. Doesn't it sound familiar to some of the biblical characters that we know about throughout Scripture? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, right? We think about King David, right? King David with Bathsheba. King David himself sees, begins to lust, then he commits adultery, then he tries to cover it up, and then what happens? He kills Uriah the Hittite, not only King David, but this is what happened in the very beginning of Cain and Abel in the garden. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Genesis 4.8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Why? Why? Because Abel's offering was pleasing to the Lord and Cain's was not. Envy, envy marked the heart of Cain. And so he slew his brother. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells us that Pilate, <clears throat> Pilate's thought, he tells us of Pilate's thoughts regarding Christ in Mark 15, 10. It says, Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Speaking of Christ. You see what a danger this emotion of envy can be. Envy, wanting what someone else has simply. Or envy, really desiring it intensely leads down a road that is dangerous. It's a... Way of worldly wisdom. And what James is trying to show us is that hedonistic living results from false wisdom and it produces unholy desires that are never, never truly satisfied. And so, believer, check our heart deep within when we recognize a seed of envy, a seed of jealousy. Within our hearts, knowing that it is not from God, knowing that it is not that which is healthy for the body, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, tells of an intriguing experiment that it shows that a male butterfly will ignore a female butterfly of his own species in favor of a painted cardboard one. If the cardboard one is bigger and it's more colorful, if the cardboard one is big, if the cardboard one is bigger than he is, if it's bigger than any female butterfly could ever be, the male butterfly will jump on the cardboard instead of going to a butterfly. It will just be attracted to the cardboard. But while nearby, a a real living female butterfly can open and close her wings in vain, and the male butterfly will never... Notice, it will just stay at the cardboard. In a very similar way, the hedonistic pleasures that James is speaking about, the hedonistic pleasures of the world, they promise great satisfaction, but they leave us unsatisfied The pleasures of this world can blind us from the true source of satisfaction and the true source of joy. True satisfaction, true pleasure comes not from pursuing the pleasures of the world, but comes from pursuing the pleasures of God, pursuing the holiness of God. So for the life of the believer, we ought to take note... That we are not to seek to fulfill and satisfy our own pleasures. Rather, we are to seek God first. He says in verse 3, you ask and you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. And we need to understand what's happening in the midst of the church here. They are coming to God saying, God, you know, I ask you for this, but it's it's not working out. I ask you that, that this would be taken care of, but it, it's not working out. He says you, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And, and, and we need to hear that if our motive in praying is for our own pleasure, if it's for our own pleasure, then we're asking with wrong motives. If the result of our prayer is so that we will be more fulfilled and just satisfied just because of the pleasure and because we want to be comfortable, then we need to recognize that our motives are wrong in praying. So when we come to God as his people praying, our prayer ought to be, thy will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven, Let, let your will be done, Father, let your will be accomplished, Our motive in prayer should never be our own selfish gain or our own selfish pursuit. But our motive in prayer is ultimately to be in pursuit of God's will and to be in pursuit of His glory. That's easy to say. And most of the time, it's easy to believe for the believer, the Christian that's walking in the Spirit of God. But there are times when that's difficult to pray and difficult to walk by, especially when we're praying for healing in our own life, especially when we're praying for healing in the life of a, a loved one, there could be an element there of our, our selfish desires, right? Wanting, wanting this to be done, but we couch that in wanting it to be done for the glory of God, for the right reasons. doesn't mean that a prayer that wants healing is a bad prayer at all. In fact, we can go to Jesus as He's in the garden praying, What's he pray before God? He says, Lord, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. And so in our prayer, in our praying, we pray with the motive of wanting God's will to be accomplished. We pray for the sake of God's glory being accomplished. You know, the other thing I thought about here in verse 3 is as they were asking with wrong motives for us, you know, if we're not careful, it's easy to get caught up with the concerns of our day-to-day living than to than, than have our prayers consistently be about, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's much easier just to kind of get caught up in, 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 in the day and get caught up in our own routine and not spend time seeking to know God's direction, seeking to fulfill and, and, and be part of God's will being accomplished. You know what I'm talking about? This is what begins to happen in our lives as we walk in the worldly wisdom, as we walk in our own ways. But you see, wisdom from above isn't concerned with hedonistic living. It isn't concerned with living for the pleasure of self. It's concerned with holy living. It's concerned with dependency on God and not dependency on self. Trusting in God and not trusting in self. And so instead of fighting and quarreling and seeking one's own pleasure, we must be seeking God. It's for this reason that in verse 4, James lays out really an indictment against the church. And this indictment in verse 4, it's really a stinging indictment. It's an indictment calling us away from this worldly wisdom and drawing us to godly wisdom. He says in verse 4, this tough word, you adulteresses, he calls... The people, his people, the church, he calls them adulteresses, you who have cheated on God, basically. And he asks a question, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? In other words, there's two different things happening here. Either we are going to be a friend of the world or a friend of God. And to be a friend of the world means that we are going to be at enmity with God. It means that we will be hostile to the things of God. That's, that's a huge contrast. We can't have our feet on both sides of the fence, right? We can't walk on both sides of the fence here. We've got to be either committed to God or living in the world we can't do both and and this is the real struggle for the believer where we're kind of between two worlds cuz sometimes you get you get caught up and and then you all of a sudden you realize that man I'm I'm not walking in godly wisdom here oh god by your grace forgive me and help me to walk according to your ways right we We get to a point in our life and we recognize that maybe everything that we have been saying is simply a shell. Maybe it's just a facade. And what we say we believe, we really aren't living it out. I hesitate to think that we would even do things like engage in, in ministry where we try to share the gospel with people, yet... In our own lives, we're not living the gospel. Right? I mean, that we would, we would talk about having this extraordinary faith, but even in our own lives, we're not exhibiting this extraordinary faith. Or we would go on even mission trips, and yet all all the time, really not be living for the glory of God, living for our own in, for our own pleasures, pursuing hedonistic living, our own pleasure-filled living. It's for this reason that James says, worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue hedonism. Godly wisdom leads us to pursue Holiness. See, there's see, there's a deception here. And that worldly wisdom makes us think we're doing what we need to be doing. Makes us think we're okay. Makes us think that we're doing enough even to earn favor with God. But the reality is, is it just blinds us. And James says, you adulteresses... It's the Old Testament language here. In fact, no greater picture do we have than what what Kevin read this morning from Hosea. Hosea, the prophet of God, where he, he commands Hosea to go and to marry the harlot to show that God, the husband, is faithful even when Israel, the harlot, his people are not faithful in the marriage covenant. God is faithful even when his people are not faithful. Hey, the good news is, even if we have been walking in hypocrisy, God's grace is sufficient to bring us back to him. Look at what he says in verse 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And So he'll tell us in a moment, humble, humble yourselves. Friendship with the world, in verse 4, is hostility toward God. Notice the responsibility in the next clause. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Whoever wishes to be a friend, whoever longs for, desires, wants to be a friend of the world, then that person makes themselves an enemy of God. They place themselves at the position of being at enmity with God, hostile toward him, and they become his enemy. They bear responsibility for being the enemy of God. You adulteresses, he said, don't you know... You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You can't live with one, one side of your life pursuing God, supposedly, and the other side pursuing the things of the world. It's either all or none. You're your all in or you're not in. There's no if, there's no, there's no middle road here. And I'm confident that if the Lord Jesus Christ has truly regenerated and saved a soul, That the believer cannot continue to operate in a worldly, hedonistic lifestyle without being miserable to the point that they are going to repent and turn and experience the times of refreshing and renewal that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. Maybe that's where you're at that you really need to just experience the refreshing that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And maybe if that's you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning before you partake of the Lord's Supper, the table, that you spend time meditating upon this truth that God is gracious, but that you would repent before Him of sin. So he says in verse 5, in response to that, whoever, makes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says, or, or do you not Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder of God's gracious hand and his gift of eternal life and the way that he secures the believer with the good deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That those who have repented and come to Christ and been converted to Him, they've become a new creation, Second Corinthians chapter 5. We've become a new creation in Christ. The old things are gone. Behold, all things are made new. And then we see here, not only here, but we see it in 2 in sec- in, in Corinthians chapter 6 as well. But He has made the Holy Spirit to dwell, His presence to dwell within us. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, his people. He jealously desires that we would walk in him, that we would be sold out to him and to him alone, that we would not be double-minded, as he says later on, As he's addressed already here in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3 or chapter 2, that we wouldn't be a double minded people, that we would be a people who are sold out, single minded, single hearted, pursuing him. This is his desire. We must humble ourselves before God, realize that God intensely desires. The Spirit which He has made to dwell within us, within His people. In other words, here's what happens. God empowers the believer. He fills us with His Spirit. He empowers the believer to live for Him, to live for His glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God and that you are not your own. And in Exodus 34:14, he says, "For you, you shall worship, you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god." You see God desires the faithfulness of his people. God is faithful. He is faithful to His children. He is faithful to forgive you as you come to Him. And as we humble ourselves, God desires our faithfulness and He expects and He desires us to live in right relationship with Him. He desires that we would walk in a way that brings Him glory. He desires that we would live in such a way that our lives line with His Word and are a testimony to those that we... Come in contact with. And so he says. He jealously desires the spirit. Which he has made to dwell. In us and then in verse six. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed. To the proud but he gives grace to the humble. That is to everyone who would humble himself. Before the Lord Jesus. God's grace is extended. And his grace is extended for us as we walk by his Spirit, as we live by his Spirit, as he desires that we would be in fellowship and communion with him. This is what it means that he jealously desires the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, that we would be in fellowship with him and walk with him. How are we to respond? to this call to live in worldly wisdom and to walk according to worldly wisdom. Well, we are to respond by what He gives us to do. In 7 through 10, He calls us. I just want to read through these quickly and we will look at them if we have time this morning. Verse 7, He says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. From verses 7 through 10, he gives us ten commands, ten imperatives for us to live by. Ten ways that we are to walk and pursue the holiness of God. First, he says, submit your life, therefore submit to God. God. And when we submit to God, what we then do is we take our lives and we put it under his leadership, under his control, turning my life, surrendering my life over to him. And as he says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The interesting thing is that this he will flee from you, it's future And so when we submit ourselves to God, then we're actively resisting the devil in our life, resisting the temptation that comes our way. And what happens as we submit to God is that the devil will flee. That temptation will flee. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a testimony about what God has done in my life through... This verse, in verses 7 and 8, it was a tremendous time of struggle in my life while I was in college. I was just struggling with a besetting sin that, that seemed to be gripping my life and wouldn't let go. And uh, as I was praying and asking God to deliver me from this sin and to help me to just put it away and to not, not pursue it, um, I, I would search Scripture and read Scripture trying to discern where how His Word would give an answer to that prayer, and as I... As I discerned and just read through, I came across James 4, 7, and 8. I began to meditate on that verse and memorize that verse and hide it in my heart. And, and any time I was struggling with temptation to sin, I would begin quoting this verse. And it's not a magic formula. It's simply the power of God's Word within the heart of a believer. And what begins happening when we, when we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil? He flees. This is the promise of God's Word and the power of God's Word. The devil cannot tempt you beyond what is common to man, and God doesn't allow that anyway. On top of that, God's Word comes in your life, and as we begin to quote and, and, and memorize Scripture and meditate on Scripture, it guards our hearts and our minds and helps us to, to ourselves flee from temptation. And then as I'm submitting myself to God, I would draw near to God, draw near to Him. And in the midst of quoting Scripture and meditating upon Scripture, it's amazing the peace of God as we draw near to Him. Even in the midst of temptation, we draw near to God. And He, he will draw near to us. Right? For He even jealously desires the spirit that He's made to dwell within us. And he's good. And He's perfect. And in this time of God coming and Christ in my life or in the time of my drawing near to God, He draws near to me and I resist temptation and I flee from temptation. You can resist temptation and flee from temptation, but what must happen? We must stop walking in worldly wisdom and start walking according to godly wisdom, submitting our lives to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to God so that He draws near to you. And as we do this, our hands are cleansed. Our heart is purified. I think about just the cleansing power of God's word even. John 17, 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5, 25, the picture of Christ and The bride, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be without blemish and holy. This is the picture of God's word. The life of his people cleanses, it purifies us. Final challenge I want to leave us with this morning is he says, "Be miserable, be wretched." He says it's a command, be wretched. Another command and mourn, and then another command and weep. This, listen, brothers, this ought to be our response to sin. Internally, we recognize that we, we are sinful, and because of that sin. We mourn, we grieve over sin in our life. But not only do we grieve over sin in our life, we weep. This is a picture of weeping over sin. Oh, that we would take our sin so seriously. That we would see our sin as God sees our sin. That we would mourn and weep over our sin He says, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. This is not to be the miserable, humble existence of every believer in the world. But what James is advocating here is a right response to our sin and what happens in a repentant heart when we recognize our sin before holy God, that we would be miserable, that we would mourn, that we would weep. That we would humble ourselves in God's presence and be brought low. And here's the promise. When we are that way, when we are humbled in God's presence, He will exalt you. He will exalt you. Nick doesn't have to exalt himself. Kevin doesn't have to exalt himself. He will exalt you. As we humble ourselves before God, leaving it, to God, asking that we would walk in the wisdom of God and not in worldly wisdom, not pursuing our own in, but pursuing him. We humble ourselves before God and he will exalt us. Worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue hedonism. Godly wisdom leads us to pursue holiness. Let me ask you this morning. Are you pursuing holiness? In your life, are you pursuing walking with God, walking in the wisdom of God? As the pianist comes to uh, to play this morning, I I just want to ask you this morning to spend a few moments in prayerful meditation, reflecting upon your heart before the Lord, reflecting uh, your own soul. If you are pursuing holy, if, if there's sin in your life before God, I'm going <clears> to <throat> open us in a time of prayer. I want to invite you to stand. <clears throat> and I want to just offer you a time to prayerfully reflect. Confessing your sin before the Lord and uh, coming before Him. Let us pray. You may be seated at this time. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward and to prepare the table.